Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Hey, y'all, I'm KC. And I'm Tyler. And this is the Elk Hunting Series from the Element Podcast. If you want to get on elk, it helps to hang with dudes that know elk. And that ain't us, but luckily the dudes that know elk have cell phones, and we call them up. So whether you're a veteran of September or you're just cutting your ivories in the elk woods, you're going to hear something here that will help you get the full draw this fall. If you find this podcast helpful, poke that subscribe button and go check out our elk hunting playlist on YouTube. Now let's rock and roll. All right, y'all, today we have got Dirk Durham, the bugler, with us, the man who knows how to talk to elk. Dirk, what's happening, dude? Oh, hey there. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. It's almost, like, it's almost like we just haven't talked for like 15 minutes before this or something. It's cool. So, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So um, a lot of people probably know you, uh, of course, by your good looks, but also by your witty <laughs> attitude and then your ability to just – make elk do what you want them to do that can i say that like man i think about that's not that's not entirely true (laughs) (laughs) i don't know man i i understand i I spent some time in the elk woods i know they don't always do what you want them to but no i was talking about the good look oh (laughs) oh i've got kind of like a face for radio (laughs) (laughs) that's why we're podcasting man makes three of us (laughs) Uh, yeah but man for real like i've seen you do some freaking cool stuff on film <laughs> just like being able to talk to bulls and and elk that just seem super call shy on you know heavily pressured public land stuff you can just make them do some cool things man so i'm excited to talk to you and kind of pick your brain a little bit about some of that stuff um you're moving to the happy hunting ground right now is that right yeah yeah we're i'm moving towards uh boise idaho yeah man what's the reason for that well, I live out in the sticks, man. It's I, I can see like in the mornings I'll see anywhere between twenty to a hundred elk between my house and town. So I live I live right in the you know, in the country with lots of game rich environment. But uh you know, I don't wanna sound like a millennial <laughs> but but my internet sucks real bad. And um where I live it'd, it'd be a great vacation home. But um, for the technology I need to do my day-to-day job, mm-hmm. then it's, it's a struggle. I, I find myself just to upload a video to YouTube. It's an hour and a half drive one way uh, to, to, to find good enough internet that uh, will upload my video and then uh, an hour and a half back. So there's those struggles. Then mm-hmm. um, we live in the snow belt too. So come wintertime, you know, during trade show season, January, February, March, if I'm gone for a week to trade show, especially if the, the missus comes with me, uh, when we get back, we've got two, three feet of snow to dig out from, and, mm, you know, golly. takes a couple, couple days of that. So you get back in the middle of the night and you got to 
four foot berm of snow in front of your driveway, then that, that kind of, kind of takes a little wind out of your sails. I can imagine, but I, I don't know that. No, nope, never seen it. It's not, not something that <laughs> yeah. happens down here. <laughs> yeah, you guys just don't have snow, do you? No. Nah, we get maybe one one year. Once a year we'll get a snow that lasts like two or three days or that's something. That's a maybe. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's every other year or whatever. But uh, yeah. we get the 105s the in the summer, so, you know, it's it's give Ooh. or take. You know how it is. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I guess if, if a guy could just, like, follow the calendar and just kind of stay where it's 60 degrees all the time. That's my plan. That, that's in the future one day yep. one day it will happen right <laughs> that's where trent lives trent yeah. fisher lives it's yeah. 60 degrees there year round yeah right on the coast tell you that. Sap sucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he tried he tried pretty hard to get me to move over there but uh you know it just wasn't in the cards yeah yeah, yeah well. i would just hug too much if you were over there that's what that's why <laughs> i know his, his wife would be ticked <laughs> yeah she would <laughs> oh that's right so are you full-time the bugler or do you have like a day job too so my day job is uh, work for Phelps Game Calls. I'm the the uh, marketing and uh, sales manager for Phelps Game Calls, and then I just do my bugler stuff on the side, which kind of flows in between. You know, kind of flows throughout. You know what I do at Phelps too. So yeah, uh, it's it's pretty pretty solid gig. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah. you know, you tell Jason, hey, I need to go do a bugler thing. He's like, oh, it's fine. You go sell a couple hundred calls for me, and, <laughs> and we'll call it a day. So that's good. Yeah, yeah, it, it's all. It's all uh, relevant, you know. My bugler stuff is all relevant to what he's doing and what we do uh, with Phelps. So it's just it kind of helps. It all helps feed the machine. So, so it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome, man. So uh, let's get just a little background for for you, and then we're gonna dive into like some hunting stuff. So, did you start out as, as a young man calling elk, or, or how'd you come into that world? So, um, when I was fourteen years old. I, uh, I was going bear hunting one morning, it was September and, uh, there's a pond close to, uh, my home that I grew up and my dad and I'd been seeing bear tracks in this pond and opening day of bear season slash opening day of archery season for elk and deer. Then my dad dropped me off about a mile from the pond and I walked in the dark and, uh, sat by the pond waiting for this bear. I thought, well, I'll be there at sunrise and and I'll probably catch that bear coming through to, to get a drink. Well, I sat there and sunrise came and pretty soon I started hearing some brush popping and I'm like, Oh yeah, here comes that bear. I'm going to get you <laughs> sucker. And, uh, to my dismay, I walks, uh, three cow elk and a, and a raghorn bull. And they walk out and get in the pond and drink and splash around. And, and, uh, of course I didn't, archery hunt at the time all i had was a rifle you know i'm bear hunting you know, is bear rifle bear season or any weapon really so all i could do is sit there and, and wish and uh so they kind of played around there for five ten minutes and then they left and i was just blown away i'm like oh my god i could have sh- i could have totally shot those elk with a bow and arrow so my dad he finally comes and gets me around noon and picks me up i said dad Dad, 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 take me to town. Because I had this old recurve bow, like a 50-pound bear Kodiak Ooh. Magnum uh, recurve bow. And I'm like, take me to town. I need arrows and broadheads and an elk tag. And he's like, why? <laughs> because, because, and I told him the story, and he and he's like, you can't kill an elk with a bow. <laughs> I'm like, no, it, it can be done. People do it. And he's like, no, no, you can't kill a bull. No, 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 not, not going to do it. So I was just crushed, you know, I, cause I, I loved hunting, you know, I, I, at that point in my life, I'd, I'd been deer hunting for a couple, three years and I was a complete deer hunting fool. And, uh, so that just gave me the drive for the whole next year, man. I saved all my money, all my, any little bit of lawn mowing money or whatever the next, the next summer I was old enough to go, uh, work for farmers, you know, putting up hay, bucking bales and putting bales of hay in barns and, and I saved all my money and uh I made enough money to buy a brand new bow, all the all the arrows, all the gear, some camo clothes. And my dad could see I was pretty serious about this. He's like, you know what? Tell you what, if you kill a bull elk, a bull elk, <laughs> mind you, uh we'll I'll I'll reimburse you for for all the money you spent on your 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 bow stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. So he's thinking this is, 
this is a solid, this is solid. I'm never paying up on this deal. <laughs> well, um, the third day of season, um, I didn't even have a driver's license yet. Cause I didn't want to take driver's ed and cut into my, my bow hunting time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Driver's ed was during September. So <laughs> I just had my mom drive me. So my mom took me out one morning, this labor day, I think it might've been labor day or labor. It was labor day weekend. It was September 3rd. And, uh, there was a field, uh, hay field, seen a bunch of elk in it. So we passed it and got up into the, up into the state forest land. And I started calling to this bull and he, he called right back and we bugled back and forth and probably 20 minutes of this, you know, back and forth. And I didn't know really what I was doing, but I was kind of thought if I can act like an elk, you know, do a little role play type of thing, maybe I could call one in. And, uh, exactly a more textbook that bull came in on a string and uh this is funny there was an old an old logging road there a cat road as as trent calls it and there was a road grader parked because they'd been logging out there off and on um so i i made it past the road grader and i set up on this old road and <laughs> this bull walks out it comes out right into that road hmm. and uh this old road and i i whack him at 15 yards mm. he runs off like he runs off like 150 yards and piles up and I'm like, ah, I couldn't believe it. You know? <laughs> no one there to see so, either. Huh? Yeah. And I go back to my mom. My mom's waiting in the pickup, right? Oh so, my I goodness. didn't realize that. That's cool. <laughs> I walked back like a quarter mile to the pickup and, uh, my mom's there. I said, did you hear what happened? And she's like, well, I heard a whole bunch of bugling. I'm like, I shot him. She's so she was excited. I said, go get, go, go get pop time to bring the, we had another truck. We had, we were in the nice, the go to town pickup, you know, and he had an old woods truck. Said, go tell him to get the woods truck and bring it out. So she went to town and told him to get his 450 bucks and his come along. <laughs> we loaded that, we loaded that sucker hole cause it was flat ground. And, uh, and, uh, he couldn't believe it. I don't think I've ever seen my old man prouder than, uh, that day, but that was, that was my first, first elk ever. And, and, from that day on, I was just, I'm, I'm hooked. I I haven't, I haven't missed a day off in, in September and not been in the Elkwood since I was 15 years old. So, wow. Golly. That's crazy. So at what point did you decide you might do some competition stuff? Um, I really wasn't too interested in it, but my buddy, Corey Jacobson, he, he'd been going to the bugling competitions and, uh, you know, his family had competed for quite a few years and he's like, man, you should go. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to go. Oh, you should go. It'll be a good, it'll be a fun trip. I don't want to have to sit in the car with just my mom and my dad, and my sister, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the family dynamic, you know, Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you want to take a friend? I'm like, yeah, well, I'll go. So that must've been 94, uh, 94, 95, somewhere in there, 1994. And, uh, so we'd, we went to the bugling contest and first year I went, it, I thought I sounded great, but, um, the judges didn't, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't make the cut. I didn't even make the finals. And the next year I kind of watched what everybody did and kind of listened. You kind of had to have your routine dialed in. I just got up there and blew my call. Like I thought I was going to try to call an elk and, um, everybody else had these polished routines and like, okay. So the next year I kind of worked on a little bit, practiced my routine and, and kind of figured out what I needed to kind of showcase and, um, the next year, then I went and Corey got first and I got second. We were one, we were one point apart and we were both like, man, this is awesome, but this sucks. We both want to win. <laughs> and he's like, well, my dad owns this call company. I think I'll just go in the pro division and I can, you know, me, Dirk, I can stay in the, um, in the men's division and then that way we don't have to keep them compete against each other and we both can win if possible. <laughs> so then that's how, that's how we rolled from there on out. So, sure. Yeah. Um, um, I, you know, re- winning a title and, and winning a competition didn't really mean too much to me, but it was just a good time to go and, and get away and, and meet, meet new people and make friends, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. So, so, okay, let's get to the elk, elk hunting a little bit here. Um, you know, some people, might find it hard to have their mom drive them to the elk. 
So yeah. how are you finding elk that your mom can't drive you to? Um, there again, I lived in, you know, kind of a, it was North central Idaho, you know, and it was farm country, but a lot of timber too. And so it's kind of a checkerboard of, of private and, uh, and, uh, state land. And I knew all the farmers cause I'd paid for a lot of them and my brothers had paid and worked for them. So they didn't mind if we hunted. So I kind of knew where to go. So a lot of times, you know, my, my mom or my old man and I would go out and uh, we do scout, you know, we'd go take drives and look for elk. And then I, and I was always hiking, looking for, for buck. <laughs> I was always scouting for uh whitetail buck uh, sign, you know, checking for, for rubs and scrapes from the year before, you know, getting my game plan for deer season. And, and so I just kind of moved that over into elk hunting too. So um, I'd scout all the time. A lot of times what would happen is I, my mom would, or my dad would drop me off. I'd say, all right, drop me off here. And I'd make a great big loop and come out over in a different spot and just have them pick me up at dark. So, um, I could cover, you know, not have to cover the same country twice. So, um, where I grew up, there's, there's probably not too many places I haven't been. I, I have canvassed the whole place as a, as a young, when I was a young buck in high school, sure. junior high school. So. so, so what, but I mean, like for a traveling, for a traveling guy, you know, like when you go, say you go meet Trent somewhere, um, like, are you just relying on Trent to kind of put you on the elk <laughs> or are you going, are you, do you have some input in there? You know what I mean? And how are you, how are you going about going, this is where elk will be in this area. So we kind of have a basic idea where you're going to find elk, you know, the kind of likely places you're going to find elk. Um, like say you're hunting out of state, let's say I've never been to this spot before. So, you know, before, before I go, this is what I do. Now Trent and Cody and those guys, they don't do a whole ton of e-scouting. They do a little bit, you know, kind of make sure they know where the boundaries are and access points to get into where they want to hunt. But I typically dive in and do a lot of e-scouting with, with uh, Google Earth. So I'll go through the area that I want to hunt and look, look on Google Earth because you can, you can, you can change the, the, the terrain features. You can exaggerate them a little bit to try to get them to be where they're more more realistic if you just get on there google earth and never adjust anything then you'll look at it on on your computer screen and be like oh yeah that looks pretty i can hunt that and you get there and it, the place looks completely different it's usually a lot steeper mm -hmm. more rugged so i'll change that and i'll go through and i'll make waypoints all over you know where i see you know ponds or a, or a or a wallow you can from google earth if it if you got a good resolution monitor a lot of times you can see, you know, wallows even, uh, trails through glades and stuff. And I'll put little, little, uh, pins all over my Google earth, um, area to where, okay, these are good points of interest. Then I can, I can save those and I can export those as a KML file to my computer. And then I can upload those to base map. You can do this with Onyx too, but you, 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 uh, upload those to, um, base map as a KML file. And all of a sudden you migrate all of your, all of your waypoints and pins and everything. And even if you drew like little trails and stuff, it'll migrate those right over to base map or on X that way. Then that's for your desktop, but then it also updates to your phone. So mm -hmm. cool. It's awesome. So I, I find it, it's, it's really nice to have both those tools to, to, uh, to scout with. So, yeah. um, and then when we get there, you, you, you kind of try to make your game plan A, A through Z. Like I want lots of backup plans because usually <laughs> you get punched in the face a few times before you ever <laughs> find an elk. And, uh, so, and then it's a lot of times we don't get there early and scout before season begins. When we get there, it's just like, all right, let's hit the ground running and we're on a mission to find elk. And, and so we're covering tons of ground looking for, trying to get a bull to bugle trying to get one to sound off that way we can we can call them in now mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways to hunt elk and some guys will you know they'll go sit on those ponds or those watering holes or those wallows um but we're kind of a run and gun um type kind of like guys running gun for turkeys we're running gun for elk you know we're covering mm -hmm. a lot of ground trying to find bulls that will be vocal and then we're going to stop or slow down and hunt them mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, man, and that's why I think it's it's cool that you're relatable that way because 
I mean, you take somebody from out east who's coming over to, to elk hunt for the first time. I mean, I tell everybody, like, hey, the first elk you get a chance at, take a shot at. And uh, for me, a lot of times that's bulls because I, I call a lot and, uh, yeah. you know, I just don't see a lot of cows, which is it's kind of a strange anomaly. But uh, either way, like, uh, is that the best way you think for, like, a, a guy coming from out east to, to approach elk hunting is do the run and gun thing and try to find a bull that wants to play the game? I don't know if it's the best way, but it's a, a very effective way. Yeah. Um, and, and depending on your terrain, you know, some, some places have enough broken terrain and some high points and, you know, have a ton of timber to where maybe, maybe that's not the best way. Maybe you want to get a big vantage point and sit and spend the first day or two there, um, glassing, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times the first day or two we're in the truck covering the unit figuring out the road system. Okay. Um, you want to kind of figure out the lay of the land, look at the road system, look where there's a bunch of people camped, look where there's not people camped. You know, you're trying to formulate this game plan in your head to be like, okay, it looks good on the map. Your, your e-scouting looks good on the map. You show up to a trailhead. There's 27, uh, horse trailers there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You may or may not want to hunt there. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, if you can kind of dedicate a day or something of, of exploring the road system and then kind of dial it in from there. Now you can maybe bugle from some vantage points, maybe hike out some ridges. Maybe there's some gated roads that you can hike out and just kind of check things out and just trying to find some elk or, uh, that are vocal. Or if it's like I was talking earlier, if you have that, those vantage points to where you can do some glassing, you know, early morning, late evening glassing to just find, find elk then that's a very effective way too um i know a lot of guys really depend on their glass yeah it really saves them a lot of a lot of boot leather or or gas for that matter you know if you you got a good vantage point yeah Mm -hmm. believe me i don't glass a lot and last year my feet nearly fell off so (laughs) i I can i can see where that's the case so uh, on that glassing stuff it's like i said it's not something i've done a whole lot of when you find a bull in glass like you can can you assume he's like in a I don't know, a section of land, then he's going to kind of be in that same area as long as he doesn't get bumped? Or, like, how do you take that and turn it into a hunt? Yeah, let's say uh, let's say you're daylight at first light, and you spot a herd of elk across the valley, you know, a mile or two away. And you watch them, and as the sun comes up, they move up into a timber pocket. As long as they're not disturbed, they should be, you know, with – Within, well, depending, everywhere is different. Sometimes elk will, will leave a feed area, like I've seen this before, where they'll leave maybe, let's say, an agricultural spot, and uh, they'll climb the mountain four miles and go up over the top of the ridge and drop on, down onto a backside north slope to bed for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, they may, have, they, may, they may have that kind of a pattern. I've also seen where <laughs> you can, if you heard a bull bugle down over the hill into this one little, on one little knob, a week later you may even hear him in the same exact spot hmm. so it just kind of depends on on the elk you're hunting some of them travel yeah. a lot some don't but but if you can see where they're kind of going to to bed down typically they'll be in that you know half mile area or mile depending <clears throat> on how far they're going to travel once they get into the the timber and stuff so um so you could feasibly watch where they go kind of watch them get out of sight, make your game plan, get over there. And they should be in that same area. Mm-hmm. By that time you get over there, you might be able to get them to call to you. Yeah. I, uh, I filmed a sheep hunt two years in a row, a couple of years back um, with a guy that I know in British Columbia. And it was, it was a weird deal for me because we glassed a lot. Um, and then whenever we finally saw Rams, uh, they were a long ways away um, and we didn't move on them and like almost, I, I didn't know when we were going to move. Like I started figuring out, like, I don't, we may not move on them for like days here. Um, so oh, wow. yeah, it was weird. It was like, you know, we, we were thinking about like, well, let's just see. And we saw them in the morning, you know, and it was one of those things where they were going to like, I wasn't sure if we were going to move on them that day or not by, by the way, the, the guide was talking and everything. So like, are you, when you see an elk, like you said in the morning um heading a certain direction like at what point do you do you go okay 
I'm hopping off this vantage point. I hope he doesn't move anywhere. I mean, how long does that, you know, what does that look like in most situations, I guess? Yeah. Well, I'm going the same morning. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm not going to wait for a couple of days. Um, some place, you know, elk are weird, uh, regionally one place, you know, elk can be pretty predictable, almost pattern, patternable, um, to an extent until something kind of disrupts their pattern, whether it's predators, whether it's other hunters. So public land elk hunting, you can't, you can't really depend on that um, because there's, there's something's going to disrupt their plan. Or let's say it's the rut and another mature bull comes into the area and wants to take over that herd. That herd may travel somewhere else completely. It may drop, they may go up over the mountain into a different spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to avoid confrontation, you know, just to defend his herd. Um, so, and then I've hunted elk that make these big circuits before. So day one, they're right here. You chase them around, hunt them here. And then in the night they move, 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 move over into a different spot. And so they're a few miles away. And then the next day the game resumes somewhere else. And then the next day the games resume somewhere else. And somewhere at some point they're going to be back where you chased them the first day. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. No. Yeah. Whitetail do that a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. Um, you know, like when we, when I hunted uh, Colorado with the born and raised guys here a couple of years ago, then those elk didn't never seem to be in the same spot two days in a row. They were always on the move making these big circuits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with hunting pressure. There was tons of people there, yeah. you know, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You know, don't, and we had a hard time getting away. They're from all Texans, the too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few Texans, a lot of guys, Wisconsin, you know, a lot of cheeseheads. Sure. Um, tons of Wisconsin guys in there, just plates from all over the country. But um, but we were finally able to hike into some really rugged, remote places and find some elk that hadn't really been messed with. But I was beginning to think that we may not find elk like that because there was yeah. there was people every, everywhere. So for guys coming from like out east or just on a first time elk hunters, guys trying to learn a little bit more, would it be conducive to like look on the map? Oh, okay, let me back up a little bit. Most of my elk hunting has been done in Colorado uh, and a little bit in New Mexico. Uh, the Colorado stuff that I've hunted has all been just heavy timber, not really a lot of glassing opportunity. Um, do you think that it's easier to hunt elk when you can glass them up and then know kind of where they're headed to bed. I think, you know, you talked about the Colorado elk doing circuits. I think it's because there's so much dang habitat that they can kind of go where they please and feel pretty safe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Where we were at, there was tons of, you know, it was a lot of beetle kill timber, a lot of forest fire, cut, uh, you know, burn up stuff. But there was like water everywhere. There were little ponds and creeks and marshes and swamps everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't say, well, the, the, the water is going to hold these elk. There was the elk could go any direction and, and have everything they needed. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's the dang rainforest up there. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, uh, I think it was uh, 2013. We went and it like there wasn't a day it didn't rain. You know, it's and it's always those like uh, surprise you showers. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, dang oh yeah, <laughs> everything's yeah. wet. Smart. Yeah. Okay. So let's get down to the fun stuff. All right, you've you've pinpointed those elk. You're moving on that morning. Uh, now we're getting down to uh, your game, and that's that's the calling stuff. So, you know, you said the like the first experience you had, you called in a bull, and I can't imagine that you knew a whole bunch of different varieties of calls, right? So, if if a guy uh, is in that situation or, or uh, wants to be in that situation, at least, like, what do you think somebody should start learning how to do with elk calls when they're heading elk hunting? I think they should try to really keep it simple um, as far as when they're trying to call in a bull um, because it's easy to maybe overdo it or underdo it. Mm -hmm. But I I usually let, I'm, I'm a big fan or a big proponent of listening to what the elk's telling me. So I I don't claim to speak. I'm not like Dr. Doolittle. I can't speak to the animals really. I don't know what exactly they're saying, but what I can tell you, is um, I can gauge the, the bull's temperature. I can, you know, as, of how aggressive or how irritated he is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I try to keep my, my calls at the same level as his until something really changes. I don't, I don't want to s- swoop in there and start punching him in the face 
I want to kind of talk to him on his, on his level, um, equal to what his mood is. And then every now, every now and then maybe try to move it up, move the notch up just a little bit. Um, and let, and let the temperature build slow. Uh, it seems like when I do, when I, especially if I have time to let the temperature build slow, they, they get, they get to talking to you and they get mad and then they, they get really mad and then they're just, they just come over. They want to fight. I've had it happen to where, um, for instance, last year, uh, Dusty, my camera guy and I, we got out of the truck, ripped a big bugle. We're going to, we're bugling across this river thinking we're going to hear a bull bugle on the other side. Bull cracks off 60 yards below the truck. <laughs> I'm like, Oh geez, crap, grab your stuff. <laughs> so it was game on immediately. Yeah. Well, we didn't have that time to, um, get him all riled up. You know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't have that time to build it all up. It was already kind of like right there mm-hmm. in the face. Mm-hmm. And we got super close and it was really thick country. Lots of these, um, new growth trees that were probably 25 years old that had a lot of limbs. So I could see the bull. He was within range, but there was absolutely no shot, uh, through all those limbs. But, uh, I feel like if we'd have had that bull and we started him from a greater distance and then kind of got him going and then worked up on him and then continued, you know, to, to work him up, Mm -hmm. I think we'd have had a better shot instead of just like, surprise <laughs> yeah. right here. let's yeah. fight you know it, it seems like those kind of instances don't really work out as good as the ones you can kind of um, build them up because when you build it up you're, you're almost kind of taking control of the of the game too you're you're like kind of pulling the strings a little bit more so than the bull is yeah and if, and if you can do it right you can kind of get him mad before he knows he's met he, he can't see it coming pretty soon he gets mad and wants to come over and whip your ass instead of like um like wait a minute you're trying to force this i don't know it's it's kind of this weird balancing act yeah so uh, yeah on that note uh like say you do have a bull that's working i'm assuming uh let's talk about like a non-herd it might be a herd bull but you know what i'm saying a a bull that's not cowed up like it's just a bull that you got mad and he's out there and you're out there and you're both bugling you're both working each other um how much ground are you wanting him to cover versus how much are you trying to push into him well, usually, let's say, let's say this bull's anywhere from two, three, four, five hundred yards. I want to cut that distance. I want to get to about a hundred yards of him before we want to escalate things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple different ways of doing it. I've I've done it both ways. I've called from the very first time I've I heard him bugle. I'll call my way to him. The problem with that is a lot of times though is. Um, he can kind of hear you coming and he can kind of make up his mind what he wants to do. But if you get up pretty close to him, then you're like challenge him. So he's like, Hey, that bull came all the way over here. Now you're putting, now you're, now you're calling to him some more. Now he has to decide what he's going to do on a quicker note. Um, and it almost sounds contradictory what I said before, but it is different somehow, mm-hmm. but I want to get pretty close that way he doesn't have to cross a Canyon and get sidetracked. He can just come right, right over to me. So, yeah. you know, hundred, 150 yards is a good distance to, to set up. Yeah. How much are you cow calling in there too? I cow call quite a bit. Um, it kind of depends. Um, I usually feed, feed them what they like. Yeah. If he's, if he's bugling really good to the cow calls, I'm going to give him a lot more cow calls. Mm-hmm. If he don't bugle the cow calls, I, I get that a lot here in Idaho. The bulls, they do not answer a cow call. So I'll do it every now and then just to remind him he has a reason to come over here and fight. Yeah. But um, if, if they're not bugling to cow calls, then I stay pretty bugle heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then that's interesting because, you know, with my experience in Colorado, it's kind of the inverse. Like I can, I can get bulls to pop off from time to time, but uh, it's always like, the cow calls that actually end up bringing them in, it seems, you know, and it's just kind of a yeah. strain. I don't know if it's pressure or what, but have you seen that like from state to state that elk will react differently? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Regionally, even here, you know, in Idaho, de- de- depending on where I'm hunting, one spot, like I say, may not, they may not even answer a cow call. You drive a hundred miles and you're hunting in a different area and they love them. They love cow calls. Yeah. So, 
I don't know why that is. I wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, KC drew a really good tag last year mm. uh, in New Mexico, and we <clears throat> we spent day nine. Um, yeah, so we actually, got to day nine, so that's it, fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we counted. We counted. Uh, I counted in the in the video that we the edited video. There was like 172 bugles in the edited video. I mean, like wow. we we chased bugling bulls of all kinds. I mean, it was literally like most of the day, probably three to four bulls were bugling around us at any time. Yeah, there was not a time when five minutes went by and there wasn't a bugle until 3 p.m. Until 3 p.m. It, it was, was insane. So, but uh, so, and we were close a bunch of times. We saw a lot of elk um, as we would like, you know, move in on them and this kind of thing. But like all those bulls in there, uh, we saw a really nice bull that was probably in like the 320, 330 range. And um, a bunch of rags. Um, and so like, we're sitting there all day. We, we, we kind of get aggressive right off the bat. So we're like, we're charging in, he's ripping bugles right back at him, cutting them off, you know, and this kind of thing. And we find that it's not working after, you know, 45 minutes, an hour or whatever. And so, I mean, we tried everything. We tried, um, we tried just sneaking into the mix and then making little cow calls. We tried, uh, weak bugles, what else did we try? I mean, we we tried anything we could think of. I did a, I did a bear one time just to see what would happen. That didn't go good either. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, was a... it was it was crazy, <laughs> man. <laughs> but like we were we were just uh, really baffled as to why like nothing really would finish. I mean, we had a couple of bulls kind of working real scared like, uh, but never came within range or anything too much. Um, what do you, I mean, have you ever encountered something like that where you just cannot figure out and, and it's you're in the action, you can't figure out how to close the deal um, and why they're not coming to you? I mean, they essentially, a lot of times we'd go into them and start calling and they would just take off. Even, even when we'd cow call, it was like the cows were leading the bulls yeah. away or something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, one year I had a tag in Oregon and there were so many. I was an Oregon resident at the time. And it took me like three years to draw this tag. And there were so many elk. There was, there was a herd, no joke, of about 300 elk. And there was probably 14 to, 20 bull, 14 to 20 bulls in this herd at any given time. And one bull would bugle, and then the rest of them would kind of sound off. Mm-hmm. And I bugled my brains out, and I, I figured out real quick that – I meant nothing to those elk. They yeah. they could give two hoots if I was bugling, and I could call cow call till the the cows came home. It didn't matter. Now, if I got away from that big group and got over into like maybe a, a bull that had like fifteen cows, they were very responsive to normal calling. Hmm. But those bigger groups, it, it was you. I, I, I what I did is I finally would put the calls away, mm-hmm. and I would kind of I'd watch them from a distance, and wait till they'd bed down, and I. <laughs> I, this place was crazy. Um, Ponderosa pine, you know, big open timber. You could see no underbrush. You could see for 300 yards almost. Mm. And what I would do is I'd wait till they'd all lay down and go to sleep. And then I'd belly crawl. <laughs> and I would belly crawl for hundreds of yards. Oh, even close. And then, and elk, there's cows everywhere. You know, they all, they're all tipped over with their heads laying There'd be bulls you could see with their heads tipped over and their antlers laying on the ground or laying on their side. It was the coolest thing. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to get the herd bull. And, man, those herd bulls, they would always bed right in the middle of the cows. Mm -hmm. And every time I'd get super close and, okay, everything's still asleep. Okay, I'm getting up. I'd stand up. Okay, range finder. Okay, good. Got Got an arrow knocked. I need 10 more yards and I'd slip, but you know, get to 10 yards closer. And be, okay. I'm there. Double check my range finder. And there'd be a cow, cow eyeballing me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> then she'd bark and they'd all stand up and couldn't shoot the bull. Cause they'd all stand up. And he, <laughs> he was covered up. Yeah. Was covered up by cows. So, oh. And then they'd run off. Yeah. Uh, it was so frustrating. Mm. Um, it was, it was super cool. Cause I got to watch all sorts of really awesome elk behavior Got to hear the, hear the craziest elk vocalizations that you never, I've never heard before. Um, but man, I, I don't, I wouldn't have traded that elk hunt, um, or I would have traded that elk hunt uh, off for an Idaho backcountry wolf infested hunt any day of the week. Because <laughs> it seems like even up in Idaho, I'd have had better luck 
you know, calling in an elk. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You just kind of get lost in the mix. That's how I felt that day. And it, it's like you get to feeling kind of futile out there, like you're doing all the things that normally work, and you're just like, well, I'm just another elk to these jokers. They don't care. You know, it's a really strange yeah. thing. But like I said, it's fun. You learn a, a ton there. So, but that's not yeah. a scenario that a lot of people are going to encounter when they're hunting, right? Like a, if you're talking about like a general unit OTC, you know, you've hunted across the West, like what do you think is, is a, is a real expectation for people as far as like encounters go throughout the West? Um, well, for as far as the places I've hunted, uh, I've never hunted the Southwest before, but I've hunted, you know, Idaho, Montana, Washington, not Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, um, Wyoming. And, I almost say a guy get for every 10, 10 bulls, a guy's here, or 10 different bulls, a guy hears, you might call one in. Yeah. So you put that in perspective. If it's an area that's got quite a few elk, chances are, you know, you'll have a few call-ins. Mm-hmm. If you don't have very many elk, you may only get one or two shots a year, you know, or a, a, in, for the time you have off. So you kind of have to make the most of it when, when you do finally get one in. Yeah. Um, and I think, and to kind of speak to that situation you, you explained in New Mexico, I think that could be a, another reason why a lot of those uh, hunters down there set water so much mm-hmm. because, you know, it's just so hard to call them things in. Uh, I've never hunted down there. I've got a New Mexico tag this year. All right. And I'm going to, yeah. Phelps and I and John Gabriel are going to go down and, uh, we're going to, we're going to give her a shot. And I don't know, uh, John, he filmed last year down there and said an open reed cow call was like the Pied Piper's flute, man. You blow that baby and they come running. So (laughs) (laughs) you'd you'd rip a big bugle with your tube just to locate. And then you just close the dick gap and then you start honking on that open reed cow call. And, and it's like magic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that really plays out because yeah. I've heard that a lot before too. Yeah, it sounds like guys. fun. Uh, John and them were hunting a couple units north of us, and uh, yeah, they definitely were getting on some bulls and some pretty kind of arid type stuff, man. It's, you're going to have fun down there. New Mexico is the real deal, dude. That's all I <laughs> yeah. can say. It, it is, I can't it, wait. It's a blast. So, you know, you're talking about call selection there a little bit. Like what should people be looking at? for like say they want to they want to call elk like what should somebody grab uh you know from from phelps online store or or their local box store or whatever to start messing around with and kind of get ready to go out west so if you've never um used an elk call before ever like a diaphragm read then i always say you might want to pick up two or three different ones Mm -hmm. um as far as the phelps lineup i always recommend the black amp read the gray amp read and the maverick so, and the reason I do is because all three of those are, are very different latex thickness mm-hmm. and very different in their latex stretch. So you may lay, love one and hate one of the others, mm-hmm. or you might like, kind of like all three, but there's one that really stands out, but you never can call, uh, you never can tell what person's going to like what, um, even though, even lady callers, you know, you, you think, oh, you should probably have one of these, you know, with a lighter latex and you don't have to blow so hard, you know, lighter latex equals less air pressure, but she may grab one of the, the, like the Maverick, for instance, it's, it's a heavy latex tight stretch. It takes a lot of air pressure. She may blow that thing really well. You, so you just never know. Um, so that's why I would say, you know, you pick up two or three, um, and kind of, kind of experiment there. Um, a lot of times guys, I hear this a lot, you know, my, my hunting partner recommended, I should use this certain diaphragm because that's the one he uses. Mm-hmm. And I tried it and I just couldn't do no, I, I can't do it. I guess I can't call elk. But a lot of times, you know, um, you know, not all calls are built the same, you know, from, from within our own line at, at Phelps versus, you know, manufacturer, different manufacturers have, you know, there's a lot of differences. So if a guy's really serious about it and not scared to throw a little money around, you might start out with two or three and then, kind of sample a little bit of this and you may have to sample two or three different brands and you may just find the, the one that works great for you. Cause everybody's palate's a little bit different shape Yeah, mm-hmm. and everybody's tongue pressure is different. Uh, <clears throat> I do these elk shape camps with uh, Dan Staten and 
he teaches a lot of fitness in it and a lot of, you know, elk tactics. And I teach the calling aspect of it. And I'd say, and then I go to a lot of trade shows. I'd say at least one or two, two people out of 10, they have the shape of their palate is so narrow. They, it's like physically impossible to even make a, make a noise. Mm -hmm. So, so a lot of these guys, you know, they're getting frustrated because, um, they think they just can't do it. Or if they experiment, they find the right one, or maybe, maybe they just have a palate that's just too narrow and they have to try to find a, an external bugle that'll work. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there, there's options out there. So you can't get frustrated. You can't give up. You just got to, you kind of see it through and like, no, I'm going to get this. And, and there's, there's ways, if you want to learn how to call out, you can definitely do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, like you said, if you want to throw a little money around, we're not talking about like 60 bucks. It's like eight or nine bucks pretty much, or 10 or 12, depending on what, what call you get for diaphragms. Like you get a couple of them, you know, you, uh, yeah. you know, skip, skip going out to eat one time that way you can, you can afford, you know, getting a couple diaphragms to mess around with. And I'm one of those weird palette people, I think, um, not that I'm narrow, but man, I've tried all the dome palettes out there and just like a straight flat, um, whatever, I don't know what you call it, but you know, the little ridge, the hard yeah. thing about yeah, like, the, yeah. yeah, the flat frame. Yeah. Flat frame is the, like the only thing that I can really feel good about. Everything else just wobbles around up on top of my, my palette. I can't, oh, I can never yeah. make it set solid. I don't know if, if I don't really know what I'm doing or if it's just the way my mouth, mouth is built, but yeah, I kind of, yeah, to go you with probably the have one. a shallow palette. Huh? Shallot. That's yeah, what I call it. shallow. Yeah, shallow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I've seen that a lot, a lot before too. You know, a lot of guys. You know, they they have a shallow palate and they just can't use those dome calls because yeah. they just don't fit right. Yeah. And you know, those those flat those flats work great. They're a little more finicky though. I think you have to take a lot more practice. You know, yeah. to get pretty good with well mine, see but. it's funny you say that but like with me because i have that situation they're not as finicky the the dome oh, really? ones, well because the dome oh. one because it moves around so much that's what seems finicky yeah. to me you know so like i don't oh. i live it in a world where i don't know any difference you know so the flat ones <laughs> yeah. seem seem real easy so i don't know yeah makes but, perfect sense actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while i do every once in a while there. So. <laughs> yeah cool man well um okay two things what would be like your number one piece of advice for somebody coming out and elk hunting for the first time or, or at least wanting to elevate their game somewhat? Um, first time elk hunters, I would say don't, don't let, um, let, let me just put it, the, put it this way. So everybody has kind of like this little dream in their head why elk hunting is. Um, and maybe that's, hiking 10 mil, 10 miles into the wilderness with your pack on your back. That's pretty romantic. It's pretty sexy to think about that. Yeah. Um, you know, they see it a lot on YouTube and, um, but that's like, that's like level 10 difficulty mm-hmm. of elk hunting. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the hardest. That's super hard. Uh, yeah, we did it last so, year. It was, it was not like a tour my MCL. Yeah, there so. was, there was fun parts of that hunt, but the pack part is not the fun part. There's no fun, sir. <laughs> no, no, it's tough. Yeah. Um, and a lot of guys see, you know, a lot of YouTube stuff, the, uh, you know, guys, unless they, they watched us on born and raised, but we've been doing this a long time. We're, we're seasoned vets. You know, we've kind of seen the trials and tribulations of elk hunting and, and it, we may look at, make it look a little bit easy, but there's a lot of grind in there for us. Even, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we turn off the camera and, and got to grit it out, you know, through the, the, the hard parts of the hunt. But, um, I would say, you know, try to set yourself up for success. Maybe your first few hunts aren't those wilderness type hunts. Maybe they're a little more of the front country, a little more gentle country. Um, maybe, you know, you're going to have a little more people to contend with maybe ATVs and stuff. Um, but it's a lot easier or it's a lot, it's a lot harder to bite off more than you can chew in that kind of country. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, if you're not, if maybe your woodsmanship, you don't, you just don't know nothing about the mountains. You come from, from Texas and it's flat as a pancake <laughs> and you come out here and it's like, Oh my God. Like where I live, I live in the front country and I still think you Texan is be like, Oh my God, what do I do here? It's, you know, it's there's lots of canyons and hills and you know oh, yeah. the, the foothills and it's pretty mountainous um 
plenty of adventure for 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 a new elk hunter. So, you know, set your sights on on places maybe that you wouldn't maybe become getting a really dangerous situation like in the back in the actual wilderness. And then also do your research, figure out where the higher concentrations of elk are. Because if you're going to a place that doesn't have a high concentration elk, let's say North Idaho, not a lot of elk up here. They're kind of few and far between. Well, finding elk is going to be your hardest, your hardest uh, aspect. You can't glass them up. You have to, you have to hear them. I know I've talked to lots and lots of non-resident guys that'll spend 10 days here and not see an elk mm-hmm. or see very little elk sign. Mm-hmm. So maybe with that in mind, you're, you maybe don't want to go to level 10 on trying to find elk. Maybe you want to kind of go to level five, go to a place, you know, all the fishing game uh, websites, if you dig deep enough, there's a, there's a ton of information there to where eventually you can find out the units that are actually meeting their objectives, their, their bull to cow ratio objectives and their population objectives. Yeah. If you can hunt that up and find out where that is, you know, <clears throat> there's units in Idaho, they're shooting the excess surplus elk during the summer. Mm. And there's other places in Idaho where <laughs> elk are almost extinct. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it, it sucks to go, if you're a non-resident, you're going to go to the place where they're almost extinct because you didn't do your homework. And then you, you just wasted a lot of money to, you know, take lots of selfies and pretty bow hikes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it'll be frustrating. And you may say, heck with this elk hunt. I'm never doing it again. Yeah. It was fun, but we didn't see no elk. Mm-hmm. So, and then also, you know, the kind of terrain, let's say, let's say you're, you're still pretty new at calling and you're not super confident with it, but if you're hunting an area that's not super timbered, you can spot elk. You can glass them from two, three miles away. Well, there again, finding elk, that's that's half the battle, if not more, of the battle of just finding elk. So if you can spot them things with glass long ways away and then make your moves and then, and then put the hunt on them, now you're interacting with elk. You're messing up. You're doing things right. You're doing things wrong. But if you can ever have any elk encounters – you don't know if you're doing it right or if you're doing it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yep, for sure. So I would definitely set myself up for success in those kind of regards. Yeah. That kind of brings a question to my mind here. Um, you know, for me, like when, when you were talking about this in the beginning, kind of the running gun aspect of what you guys do a lot. Um, and you, from what I understand and from what I've seen with you guys is that you pretty much truck camp most of the time. And so, um, you know, it, it feels like that you're getting into elk pretty close. You're not, you know, doing those five mile, uh, marches back in, you know, and I know you can make pretty good loops if you take an entire day and make, make a day out of it. But I mean, and people say this, that you always hear, you read these articles about, well, right next to the road, you know, if you find the right spot or if it's hard to get into, if it's steep, if it's nasty, whatever, but like on average, what would what was the distance from from the road or from the truck that you guys are getting into elk usually? Um, kind of depends. So on what state I'm hunting. Okay. Uh, Colorado, that was a backpack hunt. So we packed our back, mm-hmm. our packed our bag, our our camp on our back. Uh, we all day long. So we bivy hunted, right? Mm-hmm. So I think at the furthest point we were from the truck, we were probably about twelve miles. That was probably the furthest place we camped. Mm, that makes me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it was rugged. Yeah. We, we actually, we climbed up over the uh, peak that was like 11,200 feet Whew. where the air is super thin. It's like, oh my God. Uh, that was, I think that was on uh, Born and Raised Land of the Free 2.0. Uh-huh. And uh, it was, it was extremely difficult. Um, and then once we got into this little remote canyon, we were into elk and we hunted, but had we shot one there? Okay, now you're you're 10, 12 miles from the truck. We had how many guys? We had four of us. So we would have probably tried to one trip that out. So each one of us would have probably carried 50 to 60 pounds of meat. Ooh. Plus plus our pack, which our packs before we had meat in them, you know, when we had full food, full water, 
Uh, I think Cody Kellum's was about 36 pounds. Mine was 42 to 46, depending on how much water I had in there. I'm not sure what uh, Phelps was packing, but um, so we probably would have shed some gear. You know, we'd have been dumping the mountain house meals and in the fire or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Packing out the pa- the wrappers and, Here you go, and stuff. We'd have been shedding some weight, <laughs> eating, eating some steaks and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so then you're you're one trip and now you know close to a hundred pounds of meat, dude. That's a grind. Mm, and yeah. I I've hunted with guys that are super fit, and I've hunted with myself, and I'm kind of fat. <laughs> and <laughs> even the even the super fit guys get worn down you know, so Mm -hmm. especially carrying those kind of loads. So, you know, you have to, you have to understand what your limitations are physically and kind of hunt within those means. Now let's say you can only hunt, you can only pack a pack meat. I mean, I'm not saying you have to carry a hundred pound load, um, carry as much as you can, but you just have to make trips. So if you're only hunting a mile or two from the road, that's that's feasible too. I've killed lots of elk within a mile or, uh, or two from the truck. Um, and if you can carry 40 pounds, well, you know, a, a bull boned out, you're looking at 200 to 250 mm-hmm. boned out. Mm-hmm. The biggest bull that you're ever going to see or anybody ever that you're anybody you're ever going to know is going to have 300 pounds of boned out meat as far as like a, a Rocky mountain. Now I can't speak to a Roosevelt, but Trent says they're, you know, 2000 pounds. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure he's full of it. Yeah, that's, that's a little <laughs> on the large that's side. It's on the large side for sure. <laughs> he's blowing a little smoke up our ear. It'd be funny, but, but they are they typical are, they are YouTube personality, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're a little bigger. But um, but so you have to kind of understand that and factor that in. Well, what can I do? You know? Yeah. Um, can you find out close to the road? You bet. Um, some there's some of these backcountry places. You know, guys are packing in way deep in the wilderness with pack strings. You know. Let's say they're in the Bob Marshall wilderness of Montana. They're going in 20 miles. Those guys ride their horses right by all, all kinds of elk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're not it. They're not just. They're not just after elk. They're after the adventure. Um, so then that they leaves. Get, then they, they get killed, and they don't have to pack anything out because grizzlies. <laughs> grizzlies everywhere. Yeah, yeah the grizzlies <laughs> eat them. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but but there you know there's there's elk in places for everybody. You know even in that that kind of the front country it's a little easier to hunt you know um let's say a guy's old or let's say a guy has an injury uh i should I say guy too i mean girls like to hunt too but uh there's there's hunts no matter what you what level of of uh, ability or uh, physical capability there's there's elk hunts out there that a guy can do um you just have to do it you just have to jump just jump in with both feet and say, I'm going to do this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. That's what we tell people all the time. You know, like guys are like, man, I, I, it's a dream to go on an elk hunt. It's like, dude, do it. What are you waiting on? Like <laughs> do it now. You know, like, uh, and I understand it is a financial commitment to do the thing. Um, and a lot of people, you know, are, are living to where they only have, you know, maybe a one week vacation that can go on a, a hunting trip. And I get that. But like, if you if something's a dream, make it happen. You know, like it's not hard to not go eat Mexican food seven times this year and save up enough money to buy elk tag. Like it's a thing you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, people. <laughs> I, you know, I've we've all worked with a guy that says, "Oh, it must be nice, right?" Yeah. yeah. Those you guys know, must be nice to be able to hunt out of state. You know, I, I worked with guys that used to say that, and uh, I'm thinking, okay, let's get out your calculator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's a case of beer cost yeah what's what's eating how much does it cost to eat at the casa <laughs> yeah yeah how much is that the copenhagen nice can? yeah exactly <laughs> right yeah okay and these are the same guys that got a seventy thousand dollar truck jacked yeah. up lift kit they got four thousand dollars of tires and wheels and lift kit on their truck um don't tell me how nice it is because you know i guess it's where your priorities are yeah mm-hmm. and honestly if a guy budgets you know if you put a little bit of money away all year, it's easy to save up enough money for a uh, non-resident tag, all your gas money, you know, your provisions, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. buy good gear. I mean, you just have to be diligent and be like, yeah, I'm not going to eat out or I'm not going to spend my money on Copenhagen or, or cigarettes or whatever, you know, your vice is. Yeah. You know, that's that's that, uh, you know, you're, you're investing in, in something that's that's important. And to what's you, cool so. about elk hunting is that all the vices that you all the vices that you cut out. 
are helping you prepare for an elk hunt. Right? You cut the case of beer a week, and you're going to be better equipped. You cut the tobacco, you're going to be better equipped. You cut all the eating out, you're going to be better equipped. You know, so like it's it's a uh, it's kind of self fulfilling once you make it happen. So it's it's, it's yeah, it's, it is. It's a cool thing, man. So well, yeah. dude, awesome. it's been pretty awesome talking to you. Yep. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for like all the the knowledge you you've been willing to share and whatnot. Uh, you know, you said this fall Absolutely. you're going to New Mexico. Like, what's the rest of the fall look like for you? Going to New Mexico, and then uh, so I'm going to kick off uh, elk season in Idaho. Um, I'm moving down, uh, moving down to southern Idaho. I'm going to probably try to find something a little closer to hunt there because I typically hunt up north. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'm I'm starting over new, new, fresh. Never set foot in some of these places. So nice. um, so that's going to be fun. Spending all summer setting trail cameras, scouting, and then uh, I drew a tag in Montana. Right. So Trent Fisher, Trent Fisher and I, uh, we're, we're going to Montana. Sweet. He's hunting a little different spot than I am. He, he got a different tag than me. So we're going to hunt for him for a week and then go hunt for me for a week. And then, um, yeah, so it, it should be awesome. I, I can't even hardly wait. And then, and then we also, Trent and I both drew mule deer tags for, for, uh, well, I think they're just a deer tag. I think they shoot whitetail or muley, but we're going to focus on mule deer. So we're going to go back over t- into the, same kind of country uh, he had a tag for last year, and uh, go mule deer hunting in November. So that's going to be the, that's going to be a blast. Cool, man, yeah. that's cool. A little something besides yeah. the elk. Yeah, are you going to call to those guys too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bugle at them. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> the bugler, <laughs> bugler. That's him, man. That's cool, dude. For uh, some reason, they ran. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that was the tactic, right? They hunt those on drive, so you just get the, the head <laughs> of the canyon bugle and then drive them past Trent. Oh. It works. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's, that's, we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Write that down. Yeah. How's the, how's the shoulder feeling, man? I know you kind of had an injury last season. Yeah, it's good. It's actually uh, real good. Um, I, I was telling somebody, I've kind of lost my, my old man strength. <laughs> um, you know that's kind of a thing I've, I've always been pretty strong yeah um and then this man this is really taken out of me you know especially doing all this moving picking up heavy things I'm like man i just don't have the strength i used to so i'm working on building my strength back um i can shoot my bone out i got it set at 55 pounds um no problem pulling it back and it's no no pain at all i can actually draw i, I have i have two bows my hunting bow is set at 70, so that's my goal. And I, I can pull it back and shoot it at 70, but that's that's a stretch. So yeah. I gotta work I gotta work up to that mm-hmm. um this summer. But I, I don't see any any problem doing that. It's just gonna be, you know, lots of reps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good. You were doing mouth tab this year, weren't you? Didn't you kill a bull with a mouth tab? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, because I hurt my shoulder there September fourth. Oh. So I had to go home and I sat around my underwear for about a week. A bit. Cheese, a, cheese balls and everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> Crying in my ice cream and <laughs> listening to sad songs on the radio. Yeah. My wife finally come home after like four days in a row. I was sitting on my, <laughs> still in my underwear, and she's just like, all right get off the couch and do something because <laughs> <laughs> this is pathetic. <laughs> so I... I she didn't know this, but in my mind, I'd kind of been thinking about the whole mouth tab thing. Cause I'd heard about it, you know, uh, like Larry Jones, you know, iconic elk hunter. Yeah. He had, he'd shot one, you know, for, I don't know, more than, more than once. It seemed like, and Dwight, I think even old Dwight shoe even done it, but I didn't know anything about it. So I started doing some research on, on YouTube, watched some videos and called my guy at the local pro shop. And he's like, yeah, man, figure out how they do it and come bring them videos down here and we'll, we'll rig up your bow. And, and once we figured it out, it wasn't, wasn't bad. It took a little, you know, we, I spent most of the afternoon there getting the adjustments, right. Cause you know, your draw lengths gotta be pretty, it's, it's, it's way different, you know, setting the draw length for yeah. a mouth tab. But, but once we got her dialed in, it was actually really accurate. And, uh, after a couple of days of practicing, I felt like, Oh yeah, these elk are in trouble. There's, <laughs> this is that 20, 20, 30 yards. I was deadly. Forty. My my groups got a little bigger, so um, I figured I'd keep it at, at thirty and under, and maybe forty for a follow up shot if I needed it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, no, man, it was it was good. I think 
I think anybody could do it. You know, anybody that had a, maybe have a disability or just an injury, you know, could definitely do a mouth tab unless you had false teeth. Now that might be tricky. (laughs) Not sure how that would work. Brush your teeth. go flying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, man, with the way you call, I mean, there's no, just top pin them every time, right? No no worries there. So you're good to go. Well, cool, dude. If if people want to find out more about you, what you got going on or follow you this season, where should we send them? Uh, you can always find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, it's under the bugler one word. Um, and then I have my YouTube channel. It's uh, the bugler as well. And I got lots of old videos on there and, uh, we'll have more videos coming up this summer and definitely this, this fall after hunting season where we're, I got my, my camera guy, Dusty, he'll be following me around. So should be pretty awesome we'll be able to share some really cool content with you guys cool sounds good brother well we appreciate it and uh good luck this season man i hope you smoke them absolutely thank you so much appreciate you having me on sure thing brother thanks now that was some killer info don't forget to subscribe and a five-star review means a ton to us remember this is your element living it You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.